0: Meanwhile... I'm looking for a great warrior. Oh! <laughs> force not to make one great. <laughs> wow! This place is great!
1: Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great.
2: Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice...
1: Well, hello and welcome back to the Hall of Greatness, everyone. I am Andy, your host, and
0: with me as always is... JB. We are joined by our very special guest, Joe. Hello, all. Uh, Joe is an expert in a variety of things. He joins us in fields of uh, psychology, philosophy, cognitive behavioral stuff, music, all those kinds of things. So uh, this is a great discussion, I think, to have three people in... Um, Because we all have a, a really diverse idea of what this topic entails.
1: Right. And so the topic for today, this was one of the first things that actually you came up with, JB, when we were talking about this. Who is on the Mount Rushmore of rock? Whose four faces do you put up there as representative of the greatness of what classic rock is? So we're going to go through that a little bit and talk through all of our favorites.
0: Well, and I, I'm glad you led with the, the Mount Rushmore of rock because what Andy and I ended up having to do is parse this out into four or five different podcasts because of how much you can really go into each of these. But um, I, I think this classic rock one is really interesting because as we'll discuss... Even classic rock has so many subheadings right. uh, that we sort of had to parse them out individually and then pull them together into one overall Mount Rushmore. So we'll talk a little bit about how we subdivided these right. genres and then who each of us kind of had as our Mount Rushmore in each of the categories, um, and then and then we'll follow up with some more interesting conversations.
1: Right, and one of the one of the things that I noted was that starting around the 1970s. I think you had this real divergence of uh, sort of more cheesy, poppy classic rock and more harder edge classic rock. And I think you could, yeah. You know, uh, I talked about a, a setting up a scale of zero to ten. On zero, you had like Air Supply, and at <laughs> ten, you have like Black Sabbath and ACDC, You know, and and everyone kind of falls on somewhere. On that spectrum, we kind of came up with the idea, well, what if we talked about uh, sort of pop rock as its own thing and um, more hard rock as or just classic standard right. rock as the dividing line being about a five on that spectrum?
0: And then the, the follow up piece where, where we even had that, you, like you and I talked about, the zero to one being more of the folk oh, yeah. classic rock because you can't, you, you can't leave a Simon and Garfunkel or I mean even a Bob Dylan who we consider a little bit more folk pop rock you right. can't leave them off the spectrum yeah so even having a, a, an even lighter classic rock so we, we did end up right. with three categories off the top of our heads which is the zero, 01 uh, folk classic rock the 2 through 5 pop classic rock and then the 6 through 10 right and we're and we're
1: trying to mostly focus on classic rock of the 60s and 70s I think the 50s you had you know proto rock and roll which is you know somewhat different elvis and buddy holly uh, uh chubby checker and, and so on it's much more blues based and then you had uh you know starting in the 80s uh, you had things like Hair metal, mm-hmm. or the, or the cars, uh, or the cars, yeah. yeah. Perfect example. The police, yeah. Bands that you would hear on a classic rock radio station, but maybe not fitting in that that same that same genre. So that's what we were thinking about. Uh, right. Joe, anything to add to that, or does that sum up your ideas of this pretty well?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good summary of, of where we're at. Because for me, just earliest memories I have are a lot of what we're talking about today, like the classic rock stations. And I think a lot of it is limited by what I had available to me where I live. So a friend of mine that I know had had different kinds of radio stations to access and heard more variety of things. I really had a lot of classic rock in my youth. And so this this feels more like in a good wheelhouse discussion,
0: which by the way, let's preface this when when Joe and
2: I were kids, it was a rock station.
0: <laughs> so well, it wasn't classic rock. Right yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> it was. It was just what was there. Yeah.
1: So and now it's weird. You turn on a quote unquote classic rock station. And you'll
0: hear Pearl Jam like, uh, oh, right. or Poison, which Pearl, is Pearl, neither yeah. classic nor
2: rock. But yeah. JB and I had that discussion one day of like, how many years do you have to go before you show up on the <laughs> classic rock station? And and that's when you know you're old, when the songs of your youth are now on the classic rock right
0: yeah i think andy you and i talked about when one of my students said that uh, she really liked the classic rock station because they played a lot of nirvana and poison <laughs> and i remember mowing lawns to the first to nevermind right. on cassette it blew my mind and i remember how all the Soundgarden uh, cassette tapes couldn't fit on one like <laughs> super unknown was 72 minutes and the cassette was really heavy <laughs> and really didn't play well by the end Yep, that's so much tape in it. It's too much. What the hell? Too too (laughs) much awesome. So let's do this. If you don't mind, what I'll do is kind of list uh, some of the some of the bands that we had in each category, and then I'll kick it to you two guys, and, and we can kind of talk about where you started thinking of of the greatest. Um, in those sections so if if that works let's start with the this traditional rock category so again this is pre-1980s post-1950s and we would consider these rock classic rock bands so you're going to see a lot of prog rock you're going to see some um, more traditional blues rock Uh, our list uh, for right now is zeppelin credence cream uh, traffic Hendrix, Rolling Stones, The Who, Queen, Allman Brothers, Leonard Skynyrd, Black Sabbath, ZZ Top, Van Halen, Bad Company, Heart, then you get into Deep Purple, Pink Floyd, Tull, Moody Blues, Janis Joplin, Kiss, Steely Dan, uh, ACDC, Santana, Heart, Aerosmith, Rush, Dire Straits, Stevie Ray Vaughan, The Kinks, The Band, The Doors, Blue Oyster Cult, (laughs) even though Dan, uh, <laughs> Joe only knows three of their songs. They only so. have three songs. We had this conversation today at lunch. More cowbell. <laughs> More cowbells. The only thing people know them for is, is that. And then uh, we did have the police in there. Um, but again, to Andy, to your point, probably not one you'd put on Mount Rushmore, but just such a great band that we love. So that was right. the initial list. Why don't you, you guys just start there? I think you listed yeah, start
1: to there twice. Kind of go with which, what uh, you uh, Worthy the inclusion. If, if you're going to list anybody, just like go ahead and put the Wilson sisters on there. But
0: yeah, yeah. I, I agree. So uh, Andy and Joe to your guys um, I usually lead with Zeppelin for anything, but why don't you talk about kind of, can I, can
2: I ask a question before we continue? You may. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm new to the game today. So you guys have already probably talked about this a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the criteria you have in your own heads that allowed you to make said decisions of who might end up on a Rushmore.
1: I mean, I think that, like, what, like, what are the qualities of who's on Ra- Mount Rushmore now? It's like, did they do something incredibly influential? Were they iconic in some mm-hmm. sense? Uh, is the entire idea of taking someone and putting their portrait in stone is to say this matters and it has stood the test of time. that's
2: a good way of saying it.
0: And I would probably add it helps when the band has the name Stones in it for me. That <laughs> really added a, an easy piece to that. But no, Andy, to add off what you said, I, I think the criteria I had was bands that popped into my head first of all when I thought of classic rock but also um, when we talk more about funneling this list down, it's those that really influenced, not only lyrically, but musically, some of the other bands. Because I know a lot of them happened at the same time, but, you know, Joe will talk a lot about um, some of the bands I didn't listen to, like Traffic... traffic who influenced the lots of other bands Mm -hmm. that i was not aware of because i didn't listen to traffic Uh, it had steve winwood in it
2: Um, (laughs) (laughs) i'm nothing against steve winwood but it just he wasn't a vocalist or how could you not like the white ray charles everybody likes steve winwood yeah i just it never really got into his voice (laughs) and that's so when i think of classic rock I don't put them on my Mount Rushmore, but like a band that I think really epitomizes classic rock today with the harder rock six to ten ranking would be ACDC. Right. That I think they hit everything you need in a rock band. Uh, They certainly are uh, ubiquitous on classic rock radio, um, but I don't think that they hit my top echelon. There's uh, all the bands that JB listed earlier clearly had influence on a lot of people. I remember hearing all of them. So uh, for my top four today, I'm going to go with... Zeppelin, Queen, Black Sabbath. And just so you guys can yell at me, I'm going to pull it (laughs) out of the other genre. I'm pulling the Beatles up to classic rock. See, and that's... Those are my four. And that's what Andy and I hemmed and hawed a lot about in terms of pop. Beatles are way too pop
0: for me. So I have them in the pop rock. So my list of the top four rock bands, Zeppelin, Credence, Queen, and The Stones. And I went back and forth with The Who... Hendrix and the Stones, um, but I think the Stones, who a lot of people also consider more of a pop, poppy, blues, rock kind mm-hmm. of band, that would be my top four. So Andy, what what kind of top four are you looking at?
1: My top four uh, for, for this group, Zeppelin, Queen, The Who, and Heart.
0: Oh, you went that's, with Heart. Nice. I know you were talking about yeah. Pink Floyd a lot too, so.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about them, but the more and more I thought about it, I, I really just, I kept going back to you know Barracuda, and um, and Magic Man and and some of that other stuff and I'm just like, heart just doesn't get as much
2: uh, love as they should. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. agreed. So I think yeah, the, maybe call it call it nepotism one Wilson to another.
0: Yes,
2: I wondered <laughs> about that.
0: I, I think the the interesting thing too is um, all, all three of our criteria is somewhat different. I think mine the bands that I ended up with are also in somewhat based on longevity um, in the sense of I love Bad Company. I think Bad Company Mm -hmm. is the, is a pinnacle classic rock band. But if I were to take their catalog over one of the other bands on my list, it would be hard for me to justify Bad Company's catalog over, say, Mm -hmm. The Stones or The Mm Hood. Yeah, sure. So we all, all three of us talked about this. We could probably put a 10- Right. I, mean, I
2: wanted Rushmore plus yeah, yeah, five. Rushmore plus one is, is,
0: is what Joe <laughs> called it. But um, his point about the Beatles leads me to this second part. And when we first started talking about this, we felt like a lot of the more poppier uh, classic rock bands would get lost in the shuffle if we tried to combine all of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we all love Fleetwood Mac. We all love the Eagles. We all love Springsteen. We all love the Doobie Brothers, even with Michael McDonald. No, right? no, I do not <laughs> love those the bands. With Michael McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> but, but those bands would get lost in the Stones, right. Hendrix, Who They'd be their own category. Yeah, yes. so, so here is the pop rock category. And then again, I'll let you, you both kind of go through it. Uh, we have the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, Journey, Doobie Brothers, Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, The Beatles... Which again is is one of the big discussion points. Uh, we we have David Bowie, Steve Miller Band, Boston, Kansas, Ario Speedwagon, Cheap Trick, Foreigner, ELP, Sticks, Tom Petty, Bob Seger, Supertramp, Steppenwolf, Billy Joel, Guess Who, Bachman Turner Overdrive, Three Dog Night, Thin Lizzie, and Joe Cocker. And and we would have had other bands like. Chicago and the cars and Genesis in there. But Peter Cetera ruined But them. Peter Cetera ruined Chicago, and we can't possibly <laughs> include that. So, um, uh, Andy, why don't you kind of go through what you thought about your pop rock Mount Rushmore. Right. Well,
1: it was really easy for me to, to pick two of them, Beatles and Bowie. And uh, then the other two were really tough for me because, yeah, Beatles are, I mean, they, they're one of, they, they are my favorite classic rock band. Uh, from that, era. if right. if you were like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put Lennon, McCartney, and Harrison on there, and then, and then throw in Stevie Nicks because screw Ringo. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. Ringo, Ringo right. is an underrated drummer, right. uh, but right. But let's let's be real. Um, but I'm but I'm all about John Paul yeah, and George. He, does, he doesn't have his mindset yeah. on you.
0: just so you know. Yeah, he doesn't have <laughs> his mindset on anything. So I, think,
1: uh, I I love the Beatles. Um. Uh, I love Bowie. Uh, so then picking the other two was really tough. Uh, I came back to Fleetwood Mac and Billy Joel. Uh, uh, I, I don't know why. I just... There's there's some of that that I really, really love. I think The Stranger is a really underrecognized album. Thing. Okay.
2: Joe, what about you? Tougher category for me to, I think, find the, the top at the top. So, again, since I already used Beatles before, I'll keep that out. But they would definitely be my top in this category Uh, Fleetwood Mac is definitely a yes Um, Bowie was one that I didn't get a lot of exposure to as a kid just because of the stations that I had on and so I didn't I certainly understand his influence and probably should pick him but just going from my background I won't but I definitely know that I should Um, so gonna definitely take Fleetwood Mac I will also go with the Billy Joel who I think is Uh, always in my mind, neck and neck with Elton John in different ways. And, um, I unfortunately grew up hearing more later Elton John. If I had heard more earlier Elton John, I probably would have liked him a lot more, but I kind of like crocodile rock just in my head too much. (laughs) And so just like, who's that cheesy guy? But then Billy Joel was just like, oh yeah, like I feel that. Man, after that, it gets, it gets a little tricky. I know you love the Springsteen though. I do love the Springsteen. So I'm going to probably, probably take Springsteen. Um, and then I'm going to go a little left field. I'm, I'm going to take the cheap trick. You do have a soft spot. For the I do cheap have a soft spot for cheap mm-hmm. tricks.
0: And and I would stay more towards uh, probably the more traditional, the Beatles, even though you both know. You don't like the Beatles. Fans. Why
1: are you so, putting them on Rushmore? You got to put them on there, right? <laughs> okay. You have to.
0: Okay. You know, um, it's your list. It's they, your Rushmore. They, they they stole enough other people's pop music that they deserve <laughs> to be on the other echelon. <laughs> yeah. R- uh, Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, Doobie Brothers, and The Beatles would probably be mine. I love Elton John. I actually like Elton John way more than Billy Joel. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you two are talking about, but (laughs) kudos to you. Um, I got the tail end of Billy Joel. Mm -hmm. My favorite album of Billy Joel is uh, River of Dreams. Actually, that whole album is great. Um, But I also grew up with the greatest hits of Elton John. And so Elton John has a much softer spot for me. Um, I think we have some interesting ones on here that a lot of people probably wouldn't think of. I think Bowie is one. I think Supertramp. We've got ELP and Joe Cocker. I mean, I think these are some mm-hmm. ones that a lot of people would not throw in a classic rock. uh Andy, you and I talked about Joe Cocker a little bit the other day. No one remembers that Joe Cocker was a classic rock musician because what's the first song you think of, Andy, when you what hear Joe? What
1: would you do if I sang <laughs> out of The <tune? laughs> Beatles song with it's,
0: the swaying exactly. The- or the one I think of, "We're Up Where We Belong." Neither of which are classic rock songs, right? And and it's it is it's the Peter Cetera thing. We, if it weren't for Mad Dog and, and Englishman, there, this Joe Cocker would have been the one that everybody remembers, mm. and it's. Um I think hopefully if those of you who are listening to this can go back to the old Joe Cocker with Leon Russell and some of them right. and really see what kind of classic rock you should not to just stay with Joe Cocker. So Go ahead. Before we Follow. move on to
2: the next genre, yeah. rewinding to the first one that we did, can I ask both of you, why was it so easy to pick Zeppelin and Queen? Those, those are the ones that were the same for all of us. What is it about those two bands that you feel really resonates with so many people?
1: One of the things that we talked about, JB, is that like when we think about classic rock, there is this formula. You have an awesome guy with a guitar out front, then you have another singer who's out there uh who's just your classic kind of front man very you know engages with the audience very charismatic and is very distinctive and um i think both of them and and also you mm-hmm. could say the same thing about the who um that that's the kind of classic rock formula
2: your van halen rolling stones yep. kind of yep. formula
1: yep all of those all of those that's 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 what rock and roll is to a certain extent. And I think it's because of Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and because of Brian May and Freddie Mercury that it's, it's easier to to pick those. That's, that's my
0: opinion. I think the, the music also helped. I think Queen and Zeppelin used, uh, I wouldn't say traditional song styling, but they knew what sold... A mm-hmm. good song in terms of the the lion's share of their their collection i think when you look at the who some of clapton's mm-hmm. bands uh more experimental and i think lost some of the more because th- mm-hmm. like joe and i talked about our what we grew up with on the radio was more rock focused but it was probably a more traditional you mm-hmm. didn't hear bonzo's montro or right. um, some of the longer who anthems or Rush or, or those kinds of bands on the radio because they, they, their lion's share of their music didn't play. I think even Pink Floyd to some extent got stuck there where everybody knows Dark Side, everybody mm-hmm. knows Wish You Were Here, some of the songs on the wall, but the rest of their catalog, which is very good, gets lost. Um, whereas your heart, your bad company, your queen, mm-hmm, you know, came right at it, hit the radio the way you wanted it to, and so you heard them more. So, Joe, to your point, I think Zeppelin and Queen got more airplay, got more notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a subsequent podcast, we will probably talk about singers. Mm-hmm. And I think that was another facet where, to the ones you mentioned, the Zeppelin, the Stones, the Queen had that front person mm-hmm. that really came out and said, this is why we're, we're a great right. band. And, and it was the
2: personality of the band that also sold them on it. Yeah, I think the, the process of how they become... Classic or have that longevity is always really interesting. I right. remember reading back to like early Rolling Stone interviews that they'll reference sometimes about how Led Zeppelin One was just castigated as a horrible album with right. horrible songs, and you know what is wrong with these people? But yet they're now apparently on Rushmore between the three of us. And,
1: yeah. and I, I I was doing some self reflection and I noticed that the four that I picked for hard rock all fit that model because then yeah, Roger Daltrey mm-hmm. and Pete Townsend. And Anna and Nancy Wilson so I'm like that that's for sure that is what rock means to me when I'm thinking about
2: it and I think so. it means it to a lot of people and I think you're right, right to, to see that formula and I got stuck with the one with the front man and the guitarist who
0: just wrote really hilariously great songs and <laughs> um, had a cool voice um, so that's where my credence came from just there you go re- really good songwriter but mm-hmm. uh, probably had he had a sub guitars too it would have fit the same mold he just happened to kind of do both of them
1: it was he was both yeah probably
0: not really (laughs) a great singer sorry (laughs) but not a iconic singer
1: and and sorry john
0: if you're listening you got better as you got older but here's the thing
1: about credence though is you put a credence song into anything and everyone's like oh it's the 60s we're immediately there Mm -hmm. i immediately doesn't matter but like it's used so often it's it's like ubiquitous in movies because it's like yeah of course we're gonna have a credence song here because
2: right Unfortunate yeah. unfortunate son yep. it's unfortunate son yeah. it's
1: run through the jungle it's born on the bayou born up it's around like the oh bath. okay i, I get yep. i get where we are
2: mm-hmm. yep.
0: yeah if dave Grohl wants to cover four or five of your songs i think andy and i are on board with you as a, a really really good band <laughs> you know
1: indeed yeah i mean hats off to credence i I like credence yeah so Mm -hmm. i like credence a lot more than a lot of the other bands that were that were on this list
0: yeah and and again to to those of you listening not we probably like bands more than the ones we put on our Rushmore. so don't think that we picked our favorites it Mm -hmm. was just more of we picked the ones that we thought represented this category well um let's let's do this last interesting category which is there is a subset of really good classic rock that falls into a more folk, mm-hmm. less rock-driven band. So, and there's probably more on this list than I have here. But our, our big ones were Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Simon and Garfunkel, Neil Young, The Birds, and The Mamas and the Papas. You have other bands like The Zombies and Bread, who might be in this category. Ooh, Bread, well. no. <laughs> <laughs> Some, some to be named later. Uh, the interesting thing about this, I don't think we have enough to create a folk uh, Mount Rushmore book. But what I thought was really interesting about this, and, and Andy, you and I talked about this. If you were to look at the overall Mount Rushmore of all three of these categories, mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing about this category is you have to pull Bob Dylan onto yep. a Mount Rushmore. Not necessarily for any other reason than he was just probably the best songwriter we've had in in those decades so i want to say that my overall mount rushmore is bob dylan beatles zeppelin and queen
1: same that's that's my exact
2: one yeah yeah
0: and i don't know joe what you may swap out one or two here but
2: it's it's tough it's a tough call i'm have to think more on that before i can make a decision so let's come back to that because
0: i think what what that implies is when you look at, to, to Joe's question earlier, the, the four that we chose, Andy, I think, have somewhat different criteria, but basically it's, it's the genre-bending component that all of them have. You know, Bob Dylan wrote songs that everyone else recorded because they were such great songs. The Beatles, that's on you guys. Uh, <laughs> Queen, great front person, changed the scope. Of, I mean, you look at singers nowadays, any pop um, pop star or even a lot of our rock stars would love to have the panache and talent that Freddie Mercury did to the point mm-hmm. that some of them want to be right. Freddie Mercury and then of course the Zeppelin and yeah, you both know that I would have swapped out the Rolling Stones with Beatles in a heartbeat but I, I think that that battle is so
2: close. It's it's always been a Stones versus the Beatles yeah. and the Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and you, you, you're always going to have it's, those things where people have to pick a side. Yeah, even though I think that's ridiculous. I think
0: I think the Stones and the Beatles are, are neck and neck. Um, I think the Beatles did more for the the pop side of the genre, bringing up so many so much influence. So I, I think Andy, those are the the four that we have. Um, who would you? Joe, who would you have swapped out? I mean, I feel like Zeppelin and Beatles would obviously be on yours.
2: Right. I think, I don't think Dylan when I think classic rock. So oh, that's, okay. that's the thing for me that drops okay. it out for me that I remember hearing a song or two, you know, like a Rolling Stone on my classic rock stations, right. but I would put the who in over Bob Dylan when I think of classic rock. Okay. Um, I would keep the Beatles. I would take the Stones before Dylan when I think classic rock, but I'm just looking at musicians that had a great influence right. absolutely he's going to be up there
0: yeah i think and andy you and i talked about this it was the same thing with the Springsteens and the bowie how do you i mean they are classic rock musicians in that that's they've been right influencing people for for generations but i think a lot of people don't recognize springsteen's been around since mm-hmm. you know, early 70s yeah right um because they have a different... I mean, his catalog is, is relatively diverse and people have a specific section or decade where they really know his music. And I, I think a lot of people might do that with Dylan, mm-hmm. where his modern stuff, still incredibly well-written, but also not a classic rock vibe. Mm-hmm. So I can see where where you're going with that. I, I always felt like Dylan... Had more of a classic rock vibe, but again, I grew up more with Simon and Garfunkel, mm-hmm. Mamas and the Papas. I had the Reader's Digest Songs of the Sixties cassette <laughs> tape, uh, which which had a lot more of that. So Bob Dylan
2: fell into that mold for me. What's this thing you call a cassette tape?
0: Uh, isn't that weird? <laughs> you, you, uh, you all have to look it up on the internet. It's really it's a really interesting thing. Get a pencil. <laughs> so so Andy, let's to that point. What do you think about the, that Bob Dylan piece? I mean, I, I again, I. My debate was more Stones versus Beatles, and the other three were pretty well set. Um, but what what are your thoughts? Right. Me,
1: well, where's your Nobel Prize for Literature, huh? Huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, so Dylan was so much more influential behind the scenes, and I think without Dylan, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had the Beatles be the Beatles. I mean, you could say the same thing for the Beach Boys, how Pet Sounds really pushed the envelope and then pushed the Beatles to make Sgt. Pepper. But I, I think Dylan... Uh, because he started in folk, then he went electric. He pushed them, and he pushed a bunch of other artists who all said how influential he
2: was. Yeah, completely agree with you on his influential side. Like I say, just in, in my brain, it doesn't equal classic rock sometimes. But
0: the I, well, I think it's influential. But you know, he uses a lot of his themes over and over again. And I know you mentioned mm-hmm. something about his his
2: uh, Nobel Prize speech. Oh yeah, that I don't know if you saw where. He basically had like taken portions of it from other writers who had sort of had congratulatory speeches and somebody parsed his speech and called him on it and he just kind of shot back with, hey, what do you want me to do? Like, that's what artists do. Like, we borrow from people and put it together and make it better. So, or, you know, make it our own. So he was not apologizing at all for borrowing. Now, it seems like very common. I mean, there's a book, Steal Like an Artist, where he actually mentions that. Nobody said
0: everything enough that's why you could keep saying it again mm. so really good artists do that
2: yeah the, Keith Richards had a quote that he I heard him say I know he didn't say it but he got it from somewhere like good artists borrow and great artists steal <laughs> and so you know who why are you gonna hold that yeah. against him
0: Keith Richards stole that <laughs> yeah he
2: stole that from someone when we think of these
0: classic rock bands we have a very traditional look at these bands like um you both kind of brought up there's a there's a real lack of uh, women and, and ethnic groups mm-hmm. in classic rock a lot, uh, and, and I I think it would be really interesting to talk about this because I know my top four uh, are very traditional classic rock, mm-hmm. radio friendly, uh, and and Andy you mentioned something about the reason behind that so if if we have let's let's go into that a little bit because I think that's a really interesting component to this mountain. right
1: course. and I mean I think it again has to do. With uh, going back to great artists steal, who were they stealing from? I mean, the, the mm-hmm. Beatles and Zeppelin would not be the Beatles and Zeppelin if they hadn't ripped off a lot, a lot of black artists to you know to get mm-hmm. uh, what what they what they made. And I mean, maybe looking back through non rose colored glasses, it's easy for me to be like, oh, you know, it was the sixties, and so you had a. Bunch of cynical record producers who uh took black music and whitewashed it and repackaged it so they could sell it to teenage girls. And um, and and it was it was about shifting units and it was about making it uh friendly and safe for a mass audience. And in the 60s, uh and even in the 70s, that meant a largely white audience. So um, Again, that's a very cynical view, but I think there was a reason why, you know, Rock started off um, with, with Chuck Berry and John Lee Hooker and uh, and a lot of other black artists being included in there. I, I know, JB, you argued Little Richard shouldn't necessarily be in Rock, but I think you wouldn't have had Billy Joel and Elton John if not Little Richard, but it became more more white and more male. As time went on, and our recollection of it now is to be more white and male centric when we when we think of classic rock. right,
0: right. And and I think for me the the difficulty is the traditional musical labeling. And I'm with you. My my rose colored glasses uh, have these really weird subdivides of musical categories. Like there's an R and B category and there's right. a blues category. Um, and, and to your point, when, when you said Little Richard, I thought, well, he's like the iconic R&B, soul, pop person. I never would have thought of Little Richard as a classic rock. But when you think about the influence, mm-hmm. um, I know we've, we talked about Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters. Um, Joe, you brought up Aretha Franklin and, and even Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles. I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, they are classic rock musicians because they influenced the very genre that all these things came from it was just really interesting to me the conversation is so important because my brain thought that's they they are in this soul R&B genre that iTunes Mm -hmm. and Spotify puts them in Mm -hmm. right so how interesting that they would come up in a classic rock thing because and and Andy to your point I don't know if that's purposeful like if that's that comfortable label or if if There's a different musical style that all these different genres create, but, you know, it was one of the things that challenged my perspective of the classic rock genre, so I wanted to make sure you two talked in in greater detail about where you both had thought about this. (laughs) You know, is it a classification issue, or is it a a sociocultural issue? Uh, musical component because I, I had never thought about it. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you two talking more about it in this.
2: Yeah, I, I'd agree with everything that's been said so far. I, I completely agree with Andy that I think money is always right. It's like follow the money. That's our, our mantra and from Elvis with hound dog, you know, that's one of the first huge hits and it's not his, right? This is how we sell records to people, social cultural that we had talked about of us, like the Chitlin' Circuit, that black artists had had knew about. That hey, this is the the backroads you go to play in the South and other places, and these are the clubs that you can go to to, to you know apply your trade and, and make a living. But you're not going to be playing for white audiences mostly. Um, and so that was what was the p- powers that be said. Hey, that's how we're going to sell records. And so I think it's definitely a combination of the money piece and the social cultural piece. Uh, what I remember most growing up were the artists who mentioned their influences in interviews or things I would see in guitar magazines that took me down the rabbit hole that these other people existed, that uh, Zeppelin didn't do it much. Like I remember hearing years later about, oh, they stole this from Willie Dixon and had to pay him some royalties after a court case. Right. But Clapton was always really good, like from Clapton and others. Like I heard the names of Willie Dixon and Howlin' Wolf and John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters and took me down the rabbit hole of learning about the blues from these artists who were themselves influenced by those artists originally. So I think that uh, for me, we talked earlier today, JB, and I did of, you know, Stevie Wonder to me is like a Rushmore, but I don't think of Stevie Wonder when I think of classic rock. And that's back to your point, JB, is that just a classification system problem? Is that because I grew up white, listening to white stations that didn't really give him his due? Right. right? And, and I, Side note, Andy,
0: and then go to your point. Uh, I went to the Ben Harper, Charlie Musselwhite show. He played it a tremendous cover of When the Levy Breaks. He played it very much like the Zeppelin version, but if you go to his set list and if you go to the notification of it, it says a Memphis MIDI and Kansas Joe McCoy cover. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting that even though they play it in a, in a different spectrum, uh, the they still good artists know to, to really give credit to the original artist of that. Um, so anyway, Andy, to your point, I, uh, Joe just reminded me of that, that uh, I, I had seen that from Ben Harper, who always is a great musician and, and does great covers. So. Right.
1: It's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, Clapton was great about doing this. I mean, he covered Bob Marley at a time when, you know, most people had no idea that, reggae music existed or like what is Jamaica Mm -hmm. so uh, you know it's still somewhat true Um, but uh, the the larger point though is we started off saying let's make a Mount Rushmore of classic rock if you had said let's make a Mount Rushmore of artists from the 60s and 70s I'd be like Marvin Mm Gaye and Stevie Wonder are definitely both on there Um, but I don't think of them as classic rock. And again, I think that, I think that partially has to do with radio programming. I mean, we've mentioned it over and over, like, this is what we listened to on the classic rock stations. And we only got exposed to this other music by switching that dial. I don't think it has to be malicious Mm -hmm. in order for it to be a little bit racist, and I don't think anybody's like this is how we're going to keep the black folk mm-hmm. down by, uh, you know, trying to segregate music. But that is sort of de facto what happened. And so, you know, kids growing up, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is right. this is what uh, a whitewashed version
0: of rock music looks like." Yeah, it would be interesting. And, and to those of you listening, I I apologize. I haven't done enough research on. Some of the artists that we're talking about And what their perspective is It would be interesting to see uh, Interviews with Little Richard or, or Chuck Berry or Stevie Wonder and go What was it like? What do you feel was going mm-hmm. on at that time? Because Andy To your point maybe there was That whether conscious or subconscious That that was happening They were giving songs um, To artists that people thought Would be more mainstream Effective quote mm-hmm. unquote um, and, and doing it maliciously or in, in lieu of someone else's success uh, interestingly I, I want to get both your takes on Hendrix um, he is really the one that kind of subverted that idea mm-hmm. and I'm interested in both of your perspectives on, on how he did that was it just that he was so talented that people couldn't ignore him? Because that doesn't make sense because Stevie Wonder is possibly the most talented musician on the planet mm. of all time. How, how did uh, Hendrix break through when there were other guitarists who played blues, when there were other singers? Um, I, don't, I don't know, so I just thought I'd ask.
1: Yeah, Hendrix is a god and it's, it's so hard to put him on there. It, if he had lived longer... I think he might he might have made it on there because one of the other things that um, that is very common with all of the bands that I put on here is longevity, and um, and and they just put out more material than Hendrix did, uh, but what Hendrix put out was absolutely amazing. I mean, there you could argue that there is not a more prototypical rock song. Than Purple Haze, that that is rock and roll to a certain extent. He's absolutely incredible. Um, I don't think.
0: But how do you think? How do you think he passed that concept? Not so much why wasn't he on our Rushmore, but we're talking about like an entire genre of being being
2: whitewashed, quote unquote. How -hmm. did he break through that? Like. I think a piece of it was just the company he was keeping okay. in terms of he had the acceptance of Paul McCartney. He had the acceptance of Eric Clapton and other people of the time. like. I think you weren't seeing that level of uh, camaraderie and acceptance for other black artists in the same way. Like They certainly right. saw them as elders and influential people that came before them, but this was a peer at the time, their same age, living in the same locations, playing at the same clubs and just blowing their mind and they're like yeah you got to hear this guy he's amazing
0: i feel like you would have probably you would have probably done that
1: yeah people talk a lot about privilege and using your privilege to raise up the voices of others and i think that was happening in this case with hendrix was these these artists made room for him and said you've got to listen to this guy because he is the real deal and uh, that's a that's a great example for what the rest of us can do when we come upon a situation like this, where we're like, "Oh, hey, here's someone who's really deserving who isn't getting their shot because of various cultural factors. Let's uh, you know, let's raise them so up and shine
0: the spotlight." So, my question then: Would either of you change any of your classic rock ideals on Mount Rushmore? because of the influence of these artists, Like, Joe and I talked about Stevie Wonder. Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder is on the Mount Rushmore of just music in general. Yeah. And Andy, to your point, I mean, you, you can have a 60s or 70s Mount Rushmore without Marvin Gaye, yeah. maybe even James Brown. Uh, so how do we resolve, I guess, is the question, mm-hmm. uh, this, this classic rock idea? Because, again, I, I think these musicians extremely important but i don't know really how to move the mount rushmore um given the classification that is so ingrained in my head that
2: i'm going i have zeppelin and queen and the stones and all of their music is so what you're saying is if stevie wonder had had a lead guitarist to fit the formula we might be having a different conversation is that is that what it is
0: is it the formulaic classification of classic rock that causes hesitation in going? Just because their Zeppelin stole all their music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, if if Stevie Wonder had been in the Allman Brothers band, like they'd be on, and you just put those two together, then yeah, that would have mm-hmm. that would have been the uh, the greatest rock band of all time. Um, so. Right what i want to do though is i want to sort of deconstruct a little bit what mount rushmore is and what it means because if you really think about it it's kind of a racist monument too and you took what (laughs) don't get that out there but you're right it is (laughs) a sacred mountain that was sacred to native peoples and we blasted away the face of it and put four white guys on it uh two of whom own slaves at least one of whom definitely had sex with them a lot so and
2: and by sex we're we're gonna call it rape because you're the slave and so you really don't have an option right right so yeah
1: you know this this is not good and jb what did you say about mount rushmore and adding a fifth person to it who are they never gonna add obama right Never. Yeah. <laughs> Never, ever, ever yeah. would they put Barack Obama on Mount Rushmore, and there's a reason for that. So I, right. I think if mm-hmm. what, what we can do is we can say, no, I would not change who I'm putting on my Mount Rushmore. What I am going to do is do a little bit more self-reflection about what that says about all of this, about rock, about right. monuments, about greatness and how do we come to a more inclusive definition of what all that means, so that we're like, yeah, classic rock, yeah, Zeppelin, yeah, but like, let's talk about BB King for a few minutes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even though he's definitely not classic, right. rock.
2: Exactly. I think that's a, a great summary, and we were just like imaginary high fiving you because oh. you said it really, really well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's what it boils down to is we we, in retrospect created our own unachievable outcome here because we picked the very institution where we could not include the things that
2: we actually we just love and value
0: yeah. So right. Uh, I think that was a really, yeah, Andy, I think your summary is perfect that the very term Mount Rushmore creates the very problem. Uh, of full inclusion, the way we want to. So um, join us on our next episode where
1: we talk about the Mount Rushmore of grunge
0: music, <laughs> where we do the, uh, the 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 mountainless faces of greatness in grunge music. Yes. Grunge also a well, very very white genre. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm wondering about that because and this is a this is I don't want to ruin your summary because I think that's the the perfect end to. What you said where we really do need to go back and think about this and think about does greatness is it just who is the mouthpiece of the greatness or is it all of the people who influence the is it the entirety of everything that led that person i mean all three of us would sit here and go if i ever made it it would be because of ten thousand other people who helped me be who i was and very little of the credit would actually go to me especially in music because none of us really write anything original anymore. I'm not that good. Um, I and, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have to talk about a hundred bands in my influence and all of them would come from very different styles, very different things. But what then could we use for um, a representation of greatness? Andy, to your point, if we want to do our next one, which is the, the greatest grunge bands that we can think of. Um, what is another,
2: it's going to be a short Podcast because I think there's only four on Rushmore there's... and then there's everybody else. But
0: I, I mean, what would be the edifice that we would use for greatness that doesn't imply such? Mm-hmm. Well, and that was the,
1: one of the problem. original ideas behind this podcast is that, you know, Mount Rushmore is an, you could say, intentionally exclusive area. Most halls of fame are somewhat intentionally exclusive. But if we build a palace in our minds to all things that are great and put those great things in there and we are our own curators of that hall of greatness that's what we should build and it can be a very personal hall and it can be as expansive as we want to be and we don't have to be defined by genres like classic rock that were set by you know sort of capitalist ideas of we need to sell records and so therefore it has to be in this genre and it's classic rock versus being r&b and soul or motown uh which you could argue that's where a lot of the really great music was actually being made so my my answer is this (laughs) is that place
0: yeah well and i guess that that will be the nomenclature that's what's so interesting is um again we we are all conditioned to go oh the Mount Rushmore is the way you define the greatest so and so number of things, mm-hmm. and to your point, that's probably a really poor way to think about greatness when it comes to the the subtext and context behind those those people that
2: are up there and, and it,
1: well, and we you kept saying Joe, you wanted you wanted a four plus mm-hmm. one. You wanted another space. Why not one more space?
2: Because then I'm, I take an inch and I want a mile because I want to add six more. <laughs> and, and then I'm taking over. Right.
1: <laughs> well, why not?
2: Right. It, and it is. And I think, again, I'm, I'm new to this with you all. So you may have had previous discussions on the aesthetics of um, what determines greatness and is it all subjective or are there objective standards? But I think... Um, Yeah, I think being more inclusive, not having artificial boundaries of numbers and categories and what you grew up with, and getting out and seeing and hearing more new things is what hopefully good learning and being a good musical connoisseur is about.
0: Editor's note, Led Zeppelin, still the greatest classic rock band (laughs) of all time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) On that note...
1: (laughs) So on that note, uh, that brings us to this week in greatness every week we're going to talk about something that we are experiencing that is great and what i want to talk about is a great podcast about a great tv show the good place now are either of you watching the good place
0: i am not currently i watched the first season
1: okay so so jb knows the the twist that happens at at the end of the first season which is which is great um but, so, back in uh, June, they started a podcast hosted by Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Sean on the show, the, uh, the judge demon, and uh, he is, he's absolutely great, he's a fantastic podcast host, and every episode they go through one episode of the show, uh, with writers, stars, directors, etc., people who work behind the scenes, Uh, and just talk about what was going on. And The Good Place is a surprisingly deep show that talks a lot about ethics and morals, uh, concepts of heaven and hell. And so it has always been right up my alley. And this podcast is right up my alley because I also like Mike Shore, who is the executive director and creator, and he has appeared on the podcast several times. And surprise, surprise, they started later than we did, but so Mark Evan Jackson, you stole my bit of this week in greatness. Every episode he ends with, <laughs> "What's good?" And so Mark Evan Jackson, come on the podcast and defend yourself because uh, no, I just kidding. you're you're great. That is a great podcast, and they are putting out enough episodes now where they will be all caught up by the time new episodes start airing and so then there will be a podcast airing every week that the new episode comes out when the new season starts in a few weeks so now is a great time to catch up on the good place and catch up on the good place podcast
2: excellent excellent example uh i'm new to the show today so i did not have one fresh with me coming in so i'm just going to use a one that's not quite happening this week but it's it's an ongoing one that i i heard about a few months back uh there's a young african-american boy in birmingham uh named austin who calls himself president austin if you want to do a google on it and uh austin has a a superpower he's a superhero kind of guy and his superhero is or superhero power is feeding the homeless so basically once he learned that sort of homelessness was a thing he just asked his parents hey can we like go feed the homeless this little four or five year old kid They'd go by Burger King, pick up some chicken sandwiches and some drinks, and just walk around the city feeding people. And uh, he's got a hashtag that he always uh, leaves the uh, people with of uh, show love uh, after he feeds them. Um, And it's kind of exploded into a thing where Burger King is now like donating chicken sandwiches for him. He has GoFundMe pages and other things to help. They're looking at trying to build a homeless center in Birmingham. Um, And again, just reminds us all that we all can be doing a better job and hey, what's our excuse if a four-year-old's got it going on?
0: Right. That's indeed great. Mine is a book. Um, I have noticed a proliferation of self-help books nowadays. Uh, I think my general problem with self-help books is it's usually 10 to 20 pages of useful information and then 120 to 180 pages of fluff or case studies that don't really make any sense um, or other, other tripe from an author's perspective. Most of them, I believe, are very well-meaning. Uh, I think most of them are written with good intent, but because of publication rules or, or whatever it is, have to drone on. So I want to mention to everyone a much better self-help book, uh, which is about 50 pages, and it's called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Uh, it's written by Kamal Ravikant, which I might have said wrong, so if I did, please correct me. Uh, basically, it is... Please come on the show and yes, tell us yes, how to say let your me name how. <laughs> if I said your name correctly, I apologize. Uh, but basically, okay. it is a 50-page book with the whole premise going, whenever you have doubt or problems or things in your life that aren't working, all you need to do is just say that I love myself. Um, and I think a lot of people find that very silly. The author uh, basically mentions the same thing, how terrifying it was to write a book about something that seems very non-Western and silly. Uh, but I gotta tell you, it's a, it's a fascinating book, um, talking about the story where this came from, uh, how we get into mental loops and how something just that simple can get you out of it. Um, and to remember to do it, good times and bad. Um, and like most of us on this podcast, we notice that if we are able to do those kinds of things, uh, positivity does attract more positivity. It, it does change perspective. It does change cognitive loops that you get stuck into. So uh, whether you need that kind of positive affirmation or whether you just want a really quick read, 50 pages, uh, check out the book, Love Yourself, uh, Kamal Kant. Again, hashtag come on the podcast and tell me <laughs> I, I said it wrong. Uh, get on your.
1: We call that the Kevin Feige rule. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Feige. Anytime you want to tell me how to pronounce your name properly, come on the podcast. Do it. We'll, yeah.
0: Um, and and again, it's 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 a not an expensive book. Uh, I I got it on your traditional book online bookstore, which until they give us proceeds, I will not name, but. Good Uh, for you. uh, (laughs) So it has one name. (laughs) Uh, I will also accept money from the other bookstore that has two names with an and in the middle. (laughs) So either one of you that want to pony up some funds. In fact, come on the the podcast and tell us uh,
2: what kind of check you'll be writing us. It's a big check. I got mine today. You should really
0: come on. Jeff Bezos? uh, I think I'm
1: mispronouncing his name. Come on. One one of you two. Give me your money. (laughs) 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 Hashtag.
0: Hashtag come on the podcast and tell us we're <laughs> wrong. Um, so just a just a great book. And um, again, if, if it's of interest to all of you, uh, something to check out.
1: Awesome. Well, those are indeed great things. Um, uh, JB, I love you. Aww. Oh, Andy,
0: I
2: love you too. And Joe, we both love you. Joe, I'm here to be loved. I just need some love. But thank you all for having me on. I hope I can be on a future one.
1: Come and get your love. Oh, definitely. We're, in fact, we're having you back for our very next episode where we are going to talk about a subject I know very little about sports. So, (laughs) So.
0: and not. On a sacred mountain. We're we're very excited
1: about that. Uh, So so join us on the next one where we're going to talk about sports and performance enhancement and the ethics of uh, performance enhancement. Uh, Thanks, y'all, for being here. And just remember, this could have been worse. Meanwhile. Shut this off. Shut these all up. I'm warning you, turning off these machines would be extremely hazardous. I'll tell you what's hazardous. You're facing federal prosecution for at least a half a dozen environmental violations. Now, either you shut off these beams or we shut them up for
2: you.
0: All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. You shut that thing down and we are not going to be held responsible On for country, whatever happens. No, we won't be. Shut it off. Hate,
1: Hate is always is foolish. foolish,
0: love is always wise. Always try. To be nice, but never fail to be kind. Don't shut it off. I'm warning you. I, I've never seen anything
1: like this before. I don't you, know. I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off.
0: Could be
2: worse. And to make a long story short. It's too late. It's worse. Shut it off.